This is Foothill Family Church with Mike Webb. Building strong, spirit-filled lives through God's Word. It's amazing the things that we miss that are in the Bible and have been there all along because we already have our, our minds made up about how we think things are. You think Jesus is homeless, you'll miss what the Bible says about what he was really like. Matthew chapter 4 tells us that Jesus was baptized by John in the Jordan River, chapter 3 does, and then immediately following that, says he was led up into the wilderness where he was tempted of the devil. Now, um, let's, let's start with verse 11 because that's the end of his temptation. It says, Then the devil left him, and behold, the angels came and ministered unto him. Verse 12, next thing it tells us. The Holy Ghost inspires Matthew to tell us the very next thing. Now, when Jesus had heard that John was cast into prison, he departed into Galilee. And leaving Nazareth, he came and dwelt in Capernaum, which is upon the seacoast, upon the borders of Zabulon and Naphtalim, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophet Isaiah. He fulfilled an Old Testament prophecy by moving to Capernaum. Now, we know in Luke chapter 4, you know, you're going to have to look at these things with me as well, rather than me just referring to them, because a lot of people won't believe it's there unless they see it. Look with me to Luke chapter 4. It says, uh, verse 13. We'll start in verse 13. And when the devil had ended all the temptation, he departed from him for a season. We just read that in Matthew 4, 11. Now, here's what, uh, here's what Luke tells us. And Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit unto Galilee, and there went out a fame of him throughout all the region round about. And he taught in their synagogues, being glorified of all. Verse 16. And he came to Nazareth where he had been brought up. That's all I want you to see. There's other things we could talk about, th- about this, but notice it says, and he came to Nazareth where he'd been brought up. Now, folks, I was brought up in Birmingham, Alabama. The reason I say I was brought up in Birmingham, Alabama is because I don't live there anymore. If I still lived in Birmingham, Alabama, then I'd say Birmingham, Alabama is home. I wouldn't say I was brought up there. But the reason, and the only reason you ever say that you were brought up in one place, rather than calling it home, is if you live in another place. Right? Now turn with me over to John chapter 2. John chapter 2 tells the story of Jesus turning wine into uh, water into wine at the wedding of Cana. Now we all know that that was the first miracle that he did, right? The Bible's real clear on that. Verse 11, it says of chapter 2, it says, This beginning of miracles did Jesus in Cana of Galilee and manifested forth his glory and his disciples believed on him. Now, Jesus already has some followers. So that tells us that he's already done some ministry. He's already done some preaching. But he has not done a miracle prior to the wedding at Cana. Everybody agreed on that? Has to be that way. This says the beginning of miracles. It can't be a second miracle if it said this was the beginning. Right? So here's miracle number one. Notice what happens immediately following miracle number one. Verse 12. After this, he, Jesus, went down to Capernaum, he and his mother and his brethren and his disciples, and they continued there not many days. Then it tells us about the Jews' Passover. He goes into the temple, chases out the money changers, and so forth. What I want you to see is in the beginning of Jesus' ministry, he had some disciples, maybe not a lot, but he had some disciples, and he had his mother and his brethren. It calls them mother, brethren, and disciples. So the brethren can't be his disciples. Brethren has to be his kinsmen. That means his brothers and sisters. Now, folks, Jesus was born of a virgin Mary, but he was the firstborn of the family, which means he has a responsibility, according to Jewish law, for taking care of the rest of the family. So at the beginning of his ministry, he's taking his brothers and sisters. Now, turn back with me to Mark chapter 3. Mark chapter 3 tells us about when Jesus picked his disciples. 
He picked the twelve and it ends up in verse 19 and it said in Judas Iscariot, he's the last of the twelve, which also betrayed him. And after he picked them, they went into a house. Most translations will read this, and he went home. And he went home. Skip down with me. Uh, well, verse 20. Better start reading a little bit, and then we'll skip over some. And the multitude came together again so that they could not so much as eat bread. And when his friends heard of it, they went out to lay hold on him, for they said, he is beside himself. When the crowds get too big, people will start saying, yeah, you've lost it. And the scribes came down. They said he was casting out devils by the power of the devil, etc., etc. Uh, verse 31. Then, or there, in that place wherever Jesus went into a house, wherever that place is, it says, and there came his brethren and his mother. So that's got to be his kinsmen. We're not talking about the disciples. We're talking about his family. There came his brethren and his mother, and standing without, the word without means outside or out of doors, standing outside, sent unto him, calling him. And the multitude sat about him, and they said unto him, Behold, your mother and your brethren without or outside seek you. They want to talk to you. They're saying, come out here and talk to us, Jesus. You've got this house full of all these people. Come out here and talk to us. And he answered them, saying, who is my mother or my brethren? And he looked round about on them which sat about him and said, behold, my mother and brethren. For those, for whosoever shall do the will of God, the same is my brother and my sister and my mother. So we know who the brethren is, his brothers and his sisters and his mother. Look with me to another one. Look with me back to uh, Mark chapter 2. Verse 1, and again he entered into Capernaum after some days, and it was noised that he was in the house. The Revised Standard Version and some other translation says it was noised abroad that he was at home. Now, folks, how could Jesus take care of his, mother's and his, his mother and his brothers and sisters if he didn't have a house for them? How's that possible? And we'll go further and expand on the thing that we just talked about, the absolute truth of the word. If Jesus is required by the law of Moses as the eldest son to take care of his mothers and his brothers and sisters in his dad's place, in his dad's absence, and he doesn't do it, that makes him a sinner. Well, the Bible just opens up when you think, doesn't it? Well, was Jesus a sinner or not? Absolutely not. Then what does that mean regarding this area? It means he was required... To provide a home for his mother and his brothers and sisters in his father's absence. That means it would have been impossible for him not to have a home. So it was noise abroad that he was at home. People found out. He was also at home when his mothers and brothers and sisters said, the house is full of all these people, come outside and talk to us. That was his home too. Don't you base everything you do out of your home? I do. I'm the pastor of a church, and I base everything I do out of my home. I've got an office at the church, but that doesn't mean anything. I don't live there. I'm trying to go there less and less. So again, he entered into Capernaum after some days. He was noised abroad that he was in the, in the home. Matthew 9, 1 says he was in his own city. Mark chapter 2, verse 1 says he was at home. We know it's Capernaum. And by the way, Capernaum was by the sea. Jesus didn't pick some desert place to live. And straightway many were gathered together insomuch that there was no, no room to receive them, no, not as much as about the door. And he preached the word unto them, and they came unto him 
one bring, uh, bringing one sick of the palsy which was born of the whore. And when they could not come nigh unto him for the press, they uncovered the roof where he was. And when they had broken it up, they let down the bed whereon the sick of the palsy lay. You go through the story, the man is healed. Let me ask you a question. How come nobody's screaming about the roof? We know one thing for sure. He's not in Peter's house. How come nobody's complaining about the roof? You know why? Because it's Jesus' roof. Jesus is not concerned about the roof. He sees the guy's faith and says, man, your sins are forgiven you. Boy, that creates a stir. Everybody says, oh, who can forgive sins but God only? Exactly. And then he says, well, which is easier to say? Rise, take up your bed and walk or say your sins are forgiven. In the modern day church, we'd say it's a whole lot easier to say your sins are forgiven. Nobody's on the spot about that one. Nobody can see. Jesus is saying it's the same power that forgives sins as heals the sick, even the crippled. So he says to the man, the, carrying, uh, the man with, that was, had the palsy, he said, rise, take up your bed and walk. And he did. He did. Now, folks, let me show you a couple other things about this. I, I'm, I'm way out of time, but let me, uh, let me show you some other things about this. Look with me to John chapter 19. If you carry around an idea, and you're going to have to work not to have this idea, but if you carry around an idea that Jesus was some homeless bum, then there's no way in the world you can believe God for prosperity. No way. Impossible. Because God's not going to be better to you than he was to Jesus, even if Jesus did come here for a special purpose. It's impossible to have faith for something that you don't believe Jesus had. Just can't do it. John chapter 19. Jesus is on the cross. Let's start reading in verse 25. Now, there stood by the cross of Jesus his mother, that's Mary, and his mother's sister, Mary the wife of Cleophas, and Mary Magdalene. So there's three Marys there. And when Jesus therefore saw his mother and the disciples standing by, this is John, whom he loved, he said unto his mother, Woman, behold thy son. Now, the law of Moses still applies. Jesus is responsible for the care of his mother. Now he's on the cross. He's going off the scene. Who's going to take care of his mother? On the cross, Jesus says, Mom, John's going to take care of you from now on. Now you're going to tell me that Jesus had more concern about his mother when he was on the cross than while he was alive? You're going to tell me that he made her live under a bridge without a home while he was here on the earth, operating here on the earth, but all of a sudden on the cross now he cares about his mom? So he said, woman, behold thy son. Then he said to the disciple, to John, behold thy mother. And from that hour, that disciple took her into his own home. We know Peter had a house. That's where his mother-in-law was healed. We now know John has a house. But Jesus didn't? Seriously? Well, then where did he, where's he been keeping his mom and his brothers and his sisters? Join Mike Webb and Foothill Family Church every Sunday night at 6 p.m. for our weekly healing school. Healing school is for those who are in need of being healed from sickness in their body, as well as those who want to strengthen their faith in the area of healing. The Bible says Jesus took your infirmities and bore your sicknesses on the cross. He was wounded, Isaiah 53, 5 says he was wounded for your transgressions, that's sins. He was bruised for your iniquities, that's sins. The chastisement of your peace was upon him, that's provision. That's the penalty or the... Uh, uh, the overcoming of the curse of poverty, and by his stripes you were healed. 
That's the overcoming of sickness. The Bible says in the same verse, the same verse that Jesus paid the price for your sins, he paid the price for your sickness. Now, if somebody was coming to get saved, we wouldn't expect them to pray all night to see if God would do it, would we? Why is it different with healing? Jesus paid the same price at the same time. Foothill Family Church is in Orange County at the corner of Bake Parkway and Lake Forest Drive, just minutes off the 5 Freeway. To learn more about how you and your family can connect with Foothill Family Church, simply log on to MikeWeb.tv. Back up a couple of verses, you'll see something else about Jesus. John chapter 19, verse 23. Then the soldiers, when they had crucified Jesus, took his garments and made four parts. That means he divided them in four parts. Must have been four soldiers. Each guy gets a share. They made four parts to every soldier apart and also his coat. Now the coat was without seam, woven from the top throughout. And they said, therefore, among themselves, let us not rend it or tear it, but cast lots for it, whose it shall be that the scripture might be fulfilled, which says they parted my raiment among them, etc. Now the, the four soldiers didn't know anything about the prophecy. They're not trying to fulfill prophecy. They see something that's worthwhile having. Let me ask you a question. Have any of you ever seen a, a, um, a headline in a newspaper? Big headline, small headline, any report whatsoever that says, Homeless man found dead under bridge. Policeman divide his clothes. <laughs> but Jesus is the homeless guy and the soldiers are gambling for his stuff. Seriously? See how religion will pervert things? You see how the wrong thinking will keep people out of what belongs to them? Folks, Jesus' stuff was so nice that the soldier says, I don't want part of that. I'm willing to gamble for the whole thing. That would be the equivalent of Jesus having tailor-made suits. This does not seem to be a normal operation because they're willing to gamble for it. If it was a normal operation, they would have had a rotation going. They would have said, well, Flavius, you had the last one. This one's mine. The idea that Jesus was some homeless guy is a ridiculous notion. And it comes from one scripture in Luke chapter 5, verse 58. Foxes have holes and birds have nests. But the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. And he's not saying, I don't have a home. He's saying, when I'm out on the road, sometimes things aren't real comfortable. And that's a basis to think that Jesus didn't have anything? Can I ask you something else? Why does, a, if Jesus is a homeless guy, and if he's a, if he's, you know, this, this guy that, that's without and just barely scraping by and, and that kind of thing, what does he need a treasurer for? The Bible says Judas was a treasurer. Uh, let me, let me show you this too. Um, look to John chapter 12. It's interesting that John gives us some more, much of this personal information about Jesus because he was an eyewitness. Now, I'm also going to read something from John chapter 5 while we're in the middle of this story in John chapter 12. So if you want to look there with me too, you can. If you want to look to both of them, you can. If not, that's okay. I'll make sure you keep up. John chapter 12. Um, verse 1. Then Jesus, six days before the Passover, came to Bethany where Lazarus was, which had been dead, whom he raised from the dead. And there they made him a supper. And Martha served, but Lazarus was one of them that sat at the table with him. <laughs> I love this stuff. See, we've got fairy tale stuff built up in our thinking. Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead, and a couple of days later, then Lazarus ate with him at dinner. 
Can you imagine, if that happened today, can you imagine the line of cars that would be lined up just for people to see somebody that was raised from the dead? I mean, everybody in town knew this. We're not talking about just some story. We're talking about everybody in town knew it. He'd been dead for three days. And then they see him coming out of the, the tomb. And the Bible says that he was wrapped hand and foot like a mummy. How's he come out? This mummification process after three days is hardened. How's he come out? It's the power of God that pulls him out. He comes, as we would say, he comes floating like a ghost. And everybody's out there to see it. Whole town's out there. Well, that makes it pretty tough for the religious people to say that raising the dead stuff doesn't work. Okay, verse 3. Then took Mary a pound of ointment of spikenard, very costly, and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the odor of the ointment. Then said one of the disciples, which one? Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, which should betray him. Why was not this ointment sold for 300 pence and given to the poor? This he said, Judas said this, not because he cared for the poor, but because he was a thief. That still holds true today too, folks. But because he was a thief and had the bag and bear, that which was put therein. Now, can I ask you a question? If you're going to steal money from somebody, you're going to steal it from somebody that's got $2 or a lot more. You steal some from somebody that's just got a couple of bucks, they're going to know those couple of bucks are missing, aren't they? I mean, it's pretty easy to tell if you got $5, two of them are gone. How in the world did guys like Peter, guys that were concerned about, well, financial things and, and, uh, and money, monetary things, how are some of these Jews? You got Matthew. He's a tax collector, for goodness sakes. He's part of the group. You think they're not keeping their eye on the money? There's only one way they wouldn't be keeping their eye on the money, and that is if there's enough to where nobody ever has to think about it. And in my estimation, my judgment, that's got to be the situation if Judas is stealing money from the bag. Because what's he going to do if Jesus comes up and says, hey, I want you to give this to the poor, and he says, oh, we're all out. Well, how can we be out, Judas? We've got people giving. The Bible talks about certain women that gave to Jesus and to his ministry out of their substance. And some of these guys' husbands were Herod. One guy, one woman's husband was Herod's steward. She's getting the benefit of the king's treasury to put money into the gospel, put money into Jesus' ministry. Folks, I haven't found any homeless people that need treasurers. Have you? Now, did you notice what it said? How much it said it was? What is it? Three hundred pence. Why wasn't this sold for 300 pence and given to the poor? John chapter 6 tells us uh, when Jesus was uh, uh, feeding the 5,000. I like John's account. Again, it's an eyewitness account. John said, here's how it came down. He said, when Jesus lifted up his eyes, verse 5, Then Jesus lifted up his eyes and saw a great company come unto him. He said unto Philip, whence? He didn't say how. He said whence. Whence means where. He, Jesus did not say, how can we buy bread for this many people? That was what the disciples said in the other gospel accounts. How can we do this? That's not what Jesus said. Jesus said, Philip, where are we going to buy bread for everybody? Folks, this is a crowd of 5,000 men. 
Now, you take most church percentages. Ours is a little better than this because we got a lot of good, strong men in our church. I think part of the reason is that because we will think. But you take most church percentages and you'll find out that women and children outnumber the men three to one. So there could be anywhere from fifteen to 20,000 people here. Jesus doesn't bat an eye. He says, Philip, we're going to buy bread for everybody. What if you were responsible for feeding fifteen to 20,000 people a day? Could you do it? Man, I don't think I could buy bread for fifteen to 20,000 people. And that's assuming bread is the cheapest thing you can get. I'm not sure if I could provide water for fifteen or 20,000 people. Do you see the point? Jesus said, Philip, where are we going to buy bread that these may eat? And this he said to prove him, for he knew himself what he would do. I love this in the message. He said, he said this to stretch Philip's faith, because he already knew what he was going to do. I love that. He said this to stretch Philip's faith. Folks, if Jesus said things financially and questioned financial things when he was here on the earth to stretch people's faith, he still does that today because he never changes. That means you can expect, if you follow him like Philip did, you can expect him to say things to you financially that will stretch your faith just like you tried to stretch Philip's faith. And that's the point where people get all buggy. Oh, my goodness. The Lord told me to give this. Yeah, and? You don't think he's got tomorrow figured out? But but if I give this, how how can I do? How can I pay my bills? How how can I? You think God hadn't got that figured out, folks? Let me tell you something. If Jesus puts something on your heart, if the Lord puts something on your heart to give, that should be the time for you to do a big dance. Because then it's not me coming up with an idea; it's God doing something specific, and He will always repay what He tells you to do. I can come up with a lot of ideas about what I want to do financially, but boy, when the Lord tells me to do something, that's when I go out behind the barn and dance. By the way, that's way out behind the barn. (laughs) Because that's when I know there's something specific, there's something supernatural, there's something spectacular coming. Here's the point I'm trying to make, pure and simple. When Jesus came to the earth, there's no question but that he did not emphasize money. He did not. Instead, his emphasis was on where you put your heart. Not in the money, but in the things of God. That's perfectly in line with what the Bible says. We've looked at Deuteronomy chapter 8 several times, where it says when God does bless you and when you get into the promised land and all these blessings come on you, make sure you don't turn your heart away from God thinking that you did all this stuff. Right? So there's no question that Jesus emphasized the heart part more than he did the finance part. Why? Because if there was one thing that the Jews knew about the blessing of Abraham, it was financial provision. That's why the disciples were astonished. What Jesus did in other areas, however, shows that their attitude wasn't the same. For example, Jesus came to the earth ministering healing and put a much greater emphasis on healing than he ever did finances. Much greater emphasis. Why? The Bible says healing is just as much part of the blessing of Abraham as, as financial provision is. But the Jews didn't seem to be as well established in that, did they? So what did Jesus do? Jesus did miracles of healing, and he taught them on healing. He taught them on what belongs to them so that it would inspire their faith. It would enable their faith to grow because their faith was still necessary to receive. Now, here's the point I want you to get. 
Healing belonged to them because it was part of the blessing of Abraham. But it still took their faith to take hold of it. And that was the thing that caused everybody's eyes to be opened. It wasn't even just so much the, the feeding of the 5,000, the, the 7,000, or what was it, 5,000 and 4,000, I guess it was. It wasn't so much even the feeding of that. There were people that heard about those miracles and they came to see him and they wanted to see it again and, and stuff like that. Sure, people acted uh, according to natural human reasoning or the way that people normally act. But Jesus had to put more emphasis on healing because they weren't as well established in healing. But where it came to the finances, he put the emphasis on the attitude of the heart. But does that mean the finances didn't belong to him? Now, both of them are equally. Healing and, and financial provision are both equally part of the blessing of Abraham. Deuteronomy 28 spells it out very clearly. Both of them are equal. What about for us? Well, I don't think we're very well established in healing or finances. So what are you going to have to do? I'm going to follow Jesus' example. I'm going to teach and minister on the area of healing to inspire people's faith to take hold of what belongs to them. And I'm also going to teach and preach and minister on the area of finances to inspire people's faith to take hold of what belongs to them. Because in both areas, healing and finances, your faith is a necessary ingredient. If you're just waiting for God to do something out of the sky, that's not the way it works. You're going to miss out, even though it belongs to you. So what did Jesus do? How can we look at Jesus' ministry as an example for us? Well, did Jesus do miracles of healing? Absolutely. No question that he showed and demonstrated that God wants his people healed. Right? Did he do any miracles of provision? Yeah. That's what the water turning to wine was about. That's what the feeding of the 5,000 was about. That's why he did it again and fed the 4,000. That's why Jesus provided for Peter's and his tax money to be paid for by Peter going down and putting a hook in the water and catching a fish with a coin in his mouth. And folks, I would submit to you that business is fishing for money. That's all business is. It's fishing for money. Well, is fishing for money the most important thing? No. The most important thing is fishing for men. But does that mean it doesn't belong to us? No, it doesn't mean that at all. God wants you just as established in financial well-being and healing as you are established in righteousness because of what he's done on the inside of it. Because Jesus paid the same price for all of it. He paid the same blood for all of it. So if somebody's going to stand back and say, well, the forgiveness of sins part, that's important, but the healing is not so important and the finances are not so important, then I would submit that my only desire is to be standing off to the edge when you try to explain that to the Lord. Try telling Jesus when you stand face to face, try telling Jesus, well, that blood that you shed for healing, I didn't want that. That blood you shed for finances, you know, my church doesn't believe in that. So I'll just take the forgiveness of sins part. Seriously. Now, I know most people don't think in those terms. But that's one of the ways to think that helps me to understand what belongs to us. God wants you to be just as established in financial prosperity with your heart in the right place as you are in forgiveness of sins or you are in healing. Because Jesus paid the same price for all of them. As you can see, Jesus was not some homeless guy that lived under a bridge. God provided for him just like he wants to provide for you. The blessing of Abraham belongs to the church. Thanks for watching today. Come visit us at Foothill Family Church. This is Foothill Family Church with Mike Webb. 
You're looking at the problems in your body or the problems in your finances. What do you see? So many people are waiting for God to do something on their behalf. And they've got the life of God in them all the time. How much more abundant does the life of God that caused you to be born again have to be for your situation to change? Join us Sundays at 9.30 a.m. and 6 p.m. or Wednesdays at 7 p.m. Visit us online at mikeweb.tv. Foothill Family Church, building strong, spirit-filled lives through God's Word.